Flying Bull Productions presents Lab, Literature, and Film. This is the good stuff. Yeah. Lab Podcast. We're in Flying Bull Studios in Gloucester, Virginia. I'm with uh, Mr. Two Frames Bull over there. How are you today, sir? Doing well. The, uh, we're also joined by uh, the resident dog, Dalton. You may have seen him on our website. He graces the pages of uh, com. That he does. So uh, hopefully he'll chime in here in a minute. <laughs> I'm, uh, I am the L-Train. And I'm one of the two hosts of the show. This week we'll be looking at uh, three movies. I think because of our experience with the first movie and the way that we feel about having positive things to say, Mm -hmm. we felt we had to see a couple of more movies. (laughs) Well, we want to do our normal 40, 45 minutes worth of positive movie reviews. (laughs) Yeah. So we saw one film. Um, Then we saw a second film. Yeah, and then you saw a third film. Yeah, I went and saw a third film. And with, we think we got parents. about 45 minutes of content. <laughs> uh, there's some good things I could say about the first movie, but not much. All right, and, what uh, is the first film? Well, I guess it's uh, Child 44, and you were going to tell us about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Child 44. All right, uh, Child 44 is uh, from the novel, also called Child 44. It's about a disgraced member of the military police who investigates a series of nasty child murders during Stalin-era Soviet Union. Wow, that sounds good. Yeah, stars Tom Hardy, Gary Oldman, and Naomi Rapace. <laughs> Rapace? <laughs> she might be related to Naomi Rapace. Rapace? I don't know. I don't, but it's not Naomi Rapace. I'm pretty sure it's not that. It should be. That sounds like a dish in an Italian restaurant. Would you like some Naomi Rapace? Yeah, more please. Yeah, sounds like combination Italian and Chinese. I like her. I know that you you don't as much. I liked her a lot. In fact, she has the best, one of the best scenes of the movie. Well, the best two and a half, eh, 1.7 seconds. Where I was, I laughed. I I opened my, I mean, it made me wake up. So she was the best part of uh, this movie? For you? I don't know. Tom Tom Hardy's performance wasn't bad. I didn't the acting wasn't bad. It well <laughs> I liked some of the acting by some of the people in it. Had uh, Joel Kinneman. Mm-hmm. I think he's gonna be in Suicide Squad. Um, um who else? Uh Gary Oldman. Yeah, Gary Oldman. Got the Oldman. Love Gary Oldman. The bad thing is he's not the bad guy in this. Spoiler. Right. And I love him as the bad guy. He is great in The Fifth Element. And then Leon the Professional. He has one of my favorite quotes of all time. Generally, Bring me everyone. Generally. Who? Everyone. Generally, you say spoiler before you spoil something. Just <laughs> You should. Well, we had this disagreement about the trailer. And you're like, the trailer clearly shows he's the villain. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I'm not sure if I said clearly. You thought from the trailer it made him seem like the bad guy. For for me, it clearly established he was the good guy, or one of the good guys. Right, but I was expecting irony. I was expecting a little bit more of the movie than it delivered. I was was wanting a different movie than than the one that I saw. 
Well, I think we can both say it seems like an interesting premise. It's an interesting time period, interesting location. The setting is really good, and they try and get into some of the uh, complications in Russia at this Stalinist time. Stalinist Russia, yeah. Yeah, and just the way the society works, and that the, to me is some of the most distasteful stuff, just how much Im- power this government had over its people. The image of, um, the protected image of the communist governments and how that sort of repressive society is willing to let a lot of stuff go by without really addressing it. So they didn't want to lose the Cold War. Good Lord. Can't lose the Cold War to those Americans. No. Um, but that's how communism works, right? Or any sort of oppressive regime. Not Maybe not necessarily communism in its purest form, but any sort of totalitarian government. Well, they were trying to show their form of government is so great that there are no murderers that right. get away with their crimes. So they would rather convict an innocent man and kill him than to say that some crime went um, unsolved. And especially you can't acknowledge that there, that there is a serial killer, even though this murderer has murdered 44 children. Oh, yeah, that's another argument that we had at the end of the movie. But that uh, I don't really want to spoil anything for anybody that might go see it. Um, there's certainly some ways that they could have... That there's, there's so many things in the movie, so many different subplots that are interconnected uh, in terms of uh, the relationship between characters and how characters interact with each other and why. They chose not to really explain a lot of those motivations, and then they chose to go in completely different directions than the ones that would have made, I think, a better movie. So it surprises me how far away from good (laughs) they were. How do I say it? I guess there are these leaps of logic. There's a, a moment... In the first, I don't know, after about half an hour, they're investigating one of these child murders. And the child was found by a guy working for the trains. Right? He works on the train or right. at well, the train station. The movie is, yeah, trains. and Yeah. So he's he found by this guy and, and he's questioned by Gary Oldman and Tom Hardy. And they say, uh, what were you doing out here? And he goes, I was taking a walk. And they show a flashback and show what the guy was really doing. Right, they immediately assume and, that and Gary Coleman or Gary Oldman, Gary, Gary Coleman, Coleman, Gary Oldman <laughs> he says, goes. He says, "What's happening, Russell?" No, you weren't. <laughs> right. You weren't taking a walk here. Yeah, and it's like, how did he know this? Where was this giant leap in logic? Where did it come from? Even though he's spot on, there are a couple moments like that where they just take this giant detective leap. Right, De- uh, giant detective leap. Well, that I sounds mean, like a good rock. At least, band. like. Sherlock Holmes could always justify his reasoning or House on the medical show could justify these leaps in logic. No, The movie doesn't even try to do that. And if it did, it could have have tightened those screws and and made for a better picture. But then they would have had to spend time on things that they didn't want to spend time on. And then they decided instead to spend time on other things. So Mm -hmm. I said, what's happening, Russell? Which isn't a quote from anything. <laughs> I just completely Yet. made that up. What's happening, Russell? <laughs> it's, it's, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> That's Gary Coleman. Sorry, listeners. I didn't want you to think that I was like completely illiterate when it comes to uh, late 80s or maybe early 80s television shows. <laughs> 
Now then, you said that this movie was going to kick off the summer of Tom. <laughs> right, and it's going to be a dismal summer. So you're Not backing off like... your predictions for how no, awesome I understand Tom Hardy is going to be? I think I understand now why it only came out in 500 theaters. Yeah. Um, I thought he was good in it. I mean, he can't help the story that surrounds it. I thought some of the choices he made in the acting of that character were good. Like, there's a scene that he has with Numi Rapaz after they um, wound up outside of Moscow together. Mm-hmm. And he questions her and she has to respond and they they go back and forth. I thought there was enough tension in there and it had been in a different movie and their motivations had been clearer to the viewer than it would have made for some compelling drama. But in this case, it just sort of fell flat and just more like you're left scratching your head. Well, I thought Tom Hardy was let down by the editing of this film. There, like yeah, I, I could editing. feel like he was doing multiple um, takes for every scene. Like he was playing it in different ways. Like at times his character is not really very likable. Other times he can be really charming. Yeah. And, and he's able to go between those. And in individual scenes, you can see that early on he's at a dinner party, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And he tells a wonderful story. You can see why this guy's likable. You can see why he has risen to the rank that he has. Well, he's a war hero also. Yeah. And at times you see him being a great detective, and then other times he's just kind of this lunkhead. Right. Yeah. Right. There's not enough intercalary information to allow that uh, that sort of nuance to take hold in that character. But I do feel like he was trying to give a nuanced performance. The takes that made it into the movie might not have been his best takes. Well, <laughs> they clearly weren't Numi Rapace's best takes either. But there's something appealing about her, like the scars or something about her. And it's not even, I don't even think it's a physical attraction. I don't, but there's something like, I mean, she's a oxymoron or a paradox. She's like. She's the best part of Prometheus. But I don't yeah. want to see the sequel. <laughs> I don't want to see her continuing adventures. You don't think you'll see Prometheus 2? I don't want to. Will I? Yeah. Pr- Prometheuses? Promethei? Uh, I, don't, I probably won't. But, I mean, she. I'll, I'll look for her in other things. I thought she was good in the drop against, you know, playing uh, against Tom Hardy's performance. There were some other good actors uh, in the movie. I guess we mentioned Joel Kinnaman. Um, he, he would have been in a different movie put together, his role could have been much more fully fleshed out. And he, I thought he did a pretty good job with the, with what he was given playing Vasily. Yeah. Vasily. Yeah. So child 44, there's really no need for spoilers. Now, some people have really enjoyed it and really it's well over 50% liked now by the public that's gone to see it. Okay, Critics well over... don't like it. But I, I think a lot of people who went to go see this read the book. And a couple months back, we did a review of Gone Girl. And we both said we didn't really like the movie, but we had both read the book. And it seemed like from talking to other people, if you didn't read the book, you could really enjoy the movie. You could enjoy all the twists and turns. I think this is the reverse of that. You need to have read the book so that you can understand the twists and turns in the logic. To fill in all the spaces? 
Yeah. All right. Maybe. I, I, I can't really argue with that theory. I doubt that 50% of the people that saw the movie read the book. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are in terms well, of... Well, not a whole lot of people went to go see this movie over the weekend. Yeah, so probably true, too. Uh, uh, I, 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 it's a compelling argument. I, I'd like to... S- I'd like to see how many, um, how many uh, copies of that book sold, and compare it against that just to see how close you are to in your argument because it might be it might be true. I can't believe that people that saw that read the book and saw this movie, if thing if so many things were left out, like you seem to indicate, because you talked to someone that had read the book and not seen the movie, and it seems like a lot of stuff was left out. Generally, that kind of angers people. <laughs> Maybe it's got a six point three out of ten according to IMDb, which is a fairly strong rating. Hmm. I mean, All it's right. not. It's generally you have to go up to about seven for it to really be awesome, but that's not bad. I can't. I can't imagine worse editing of action sequences, and it surprises me because we are in an age where everything that has gone before kind of sets up how those things can go. And I think that films like this or films in general should take the form and try to do something interesting with it instead of going back 25 years and then really doing that poorly. Well, yeah, this I, mo- I, I don't get it. I, yeah, I don't get that. The movie's trying to look at times like uh, Godfather, I guess it's got kind of this Brown soft focus yeah. And it has this really shallow depth of field. So when you have these fast-paced fight sequences like you were talking about that are filmed with a shaky cam, it's all handheld, those elements don't add up. It's hard to see clear detail of what's going on because the frame is sort of brown, sort of dingy. And then because it's got such a shallow depth of focus and there's a slight shake, you can never follow what's going on. Plus, the editing's pretty quick. So our take on Child 44 is sort of brown, out of focus, with a slight shake. Yeah, I mean, they they went for it. This is a very original take on filmmaking. Really? Okay. I, I've never seen. So you think they're doing? I've never seen them? shaky cam and soft focus and shallow depth okay. of field. All right. All at the same time. It's like peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's Child 44. So, uh, I don't know. I said a few good things about it. You said some things about it that yeah. were good, you know. But instead of uh, that movie, because we felt we would make it even brownie and dingier based on our uh, take on it, we decided to look at another film on it was on DirecTV, right? Or yeah, we got streaming. And um, it looked compelling to me because it had Michael Douglas in it. This was on your short list of films to talk about back when we did our spring preview. I don't think it made the show just because of time constraints. Right. It was on my uh, honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Beyond the Reach, uh, starring Michael Douglas and Jeremy Ivine. I have no Ivern. idea. I just love it. Ir- Irvine. I, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Irvine. That's how you pronounce that word. Irvine. I wish. I was hoping it was something like mine. You just for now. Jeremy Irvine. Whew, all right. Good stuff. It's um <laughs> it's kind of a most dangerous game esque story where a high rolling corporate shark 
and his impoverished young guide play the most dangerous game during a hunting trip in the desert. That's the blurb on IMDb, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's misleading. Why do you say that? Well, the things that's compelling, the thing, one of the things that is compelling about this movie is it it does set up some moral conundrums, and it does set up moral dilemmas and, and how the choices that you make reflect on your character and can have a bearing or impact on your life in ways that you don't necessarily see. So if it's playing in those bigger themes, then it's a much more interesting movie to think about. Mm-hmm. If it has if it has those themes going forward and then you consider it I think in in that arena. If you think about it as a thriller, most dangerous game sort of thing, it doesn't really work. And it didn't it wasn't really the the movie, the plot itself does isn't really that. I don't think that synopsis does it justice. Well, no, I mean, one of the problems they show Michael Douglas is having all this money, and he buys the very best equipment to go on a hunting trip. His vehicle costs half a million dollars. It has an espresso machine. Is that what they said? Yeah, he says like half a million. He something. says there's only one of them in America. I know. Yeah, that. it's it's an amazing six-wheeled truck. It has a toaster oven and an espresso machine. But, I mean, it looks like it can go anywhere, do anything. Yeah, it's like a Humvee kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, his rifle is super nice. But yet he's shown up randomly for this trip to get a guide. And he needs the best guide. And they right. give the guy like 15 minutes to show up. It's also on the eve of arguably the biggest night or the biggest meeting of his life. Yeah. Uh, you know, two or three days before that. And they play around that time sequence. And this is all set up early in the movie. Yeah. Th- those are the things that let me down. But yeah, I think the moral conundrums and then just the whole idea of how do you survive in the desert. You know, this See, the game of were... cat and mouse can be really interesting. And there's some inventive things you could do with it, I feel. The, yeah. The the trailer shows you some of these inventive things. All right. But, uh... I mean, through a series of mishaps, it turns out that he, uh, the guide becomes the hunted. Mike, Michael Douglas is, is then trying to get him. Um, so, I mean, I don't think that's anything that's spoilerific. No. I would like to see a supercut of this movie. What? Uh, like because apparently supercut? it was made as a TV movie back in 1974, and the Michael Douglas character was played by Andy Griffith. Oh. So I would like to see... Was Michael Douglas playing the uh, guide? No, it was some guy I'd never heard of was the How guide. Is that? What is supercut? Like, what does that mean? You do a mashup. You do oh, a mashup. Jeremy Irvine. Supercut. A supercut. You do Jeremy Irvine leading Andy Griffith. Into the desert. Okay. And Andy Griffith keeps trying to kill him. Tries to kill this young kid who's been in The Railway Man. He plays um, the young POW soldier. And he was also in War Horse. Oh, I didn't see that. I wanted to see The Railway Man. Yeah. I never did see it. I didn't see Wars either. Well, I didn't want to see War. I don't want to see horses get hurt. Uh, Railway Man's pretty good. If you like uh, Unbroken, I think you would enjoy the film. Okay. Uh, starring Colin Firth. And okay. that's based on a true story about he goes back to face his accuser or his yeah. Um, captor. Yeah, there was another movie uh came out recently with that woman that's in The Woman in Gold. Mm-hmm. What's her name? Helen, uh, Helen Mirren was in a movie where she went back in time and faced her Nazi captor. Yeah. I guess uh, that's Railway, Railway Man. 
railway man, well, yeah. railway person. But I, I, I think you could take Beyond the Reach, cut it down, insert Andy Griffith, <laughs> and you have a pretty interesting, like, 15 to 20 minute film. Huh. That's what I want to see. Andy Griffith, 1974, Andy Griffith now. He's dead now, isn't oh, he? God, he's another one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, 1970s. Because to right. me, I, I either see him really old as Matlock, or he was on the Andy Griffith show what, in the 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't really know what Andy Griffith looked like in the 70s and 80s. Oh, okay. Well. He just waited until he could buy a white suit, and he made his comeback to TV. Huh. At least in my mind. So you didn't like Michael Douglas? I like Michael Douglas, but... I liked him. I didn't like his role. I mean, I didn't like the character he played. I mean, I didn't like the way that they presented the stuff that happens. I was surprised he didn't have more speeches. I mean, because he's a guy who delivers a monologue well. Yeah. And they they gave him a lot of just short quips to say. Uh, yelling. To me, let him say stuff. Let him say stuff that's over the top. Just chew up the scenery. Yeah. Oh, see, Dalton. I told you. Dalton agrees with us. Good stuff, Dalton. Yeah, you had about the same amount of lines as Michael Douglas had in Beyond the Reach. The pup abides. I think I'd like to do some spoilers for this, though. Okay. Do we want to save it till after, at the end of the show, or do it now? Oh, let's do it now. I'll I'll put some time codes in to the uh, summary so people know where to jump if they want to hear about what's the film we're doing after this. Ooh. Danny Collins. All right. So that check out the summary for the show, and you'll know exactly where to jump to. Okay. Good Good stuff, because uh, there's one thing that bothered me, one, one major thing that bothered me. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. Maybe this isn't really spoiler. But they show the gun. He gives his girlfriend a gun at the beginning of the movie. So you know he's going to use it at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just annoying. I understand Chekhov's idea that show a gun in the first act, you have to use it. This movie would have been a lot more interesting if they hadn't used it. <laughs> but when he winds up with his girlfriend at the end of the movie, you know he's going to use the gun. Well, that was so weird. He has a nightmare that he's going to be <laughs> killed in bed by Michael Douglas, And then Michael Douglas is yeah, in the bedroom. Like Anton Chigurh. Or something. They were trying to do so much, and it was so bad. It wound up being so bad. There's one scene where he he goes into the... All right, so they flash back to him with his girlfriend to show him uh, teaching her how to, sh- to shoot a gun, and then they intercut it with him in the uh, slingshot. Mm-hmm. So he's using he's practicing his slingshot. He only has like five marbles for the slingshot. He's risking not having any ammunition when he goes after him with a slingshot, right? Oh, yeah. Well, plus Michael <sighs> Douglas doesn't have to camp out there. Yeah, there was he no... He could have left and the guy would have had to walk 50 miles. There's no reason for him not to just shoot the guy. <laughs> then the whole movie ends. Well, I, I, I don't get that. There, there was nothing really, except he didn't want to get caught. But there's so much more that they could have done. This guy has access to helicopters and satellite phones, and he's a multi-billionaire. Come on, we all saw what Robert Durst was able to do with a little bit of makeup. Well, I do like that he escaped from prison or from the jail by helicopter. Right, right. They came, they dropped in the middle of this little uh, community, just took him off. But then he risks everything by coming back to kill this guy. 
Well, see, I'd, my question for you is how long did it take for you to fall asleep the first time watching this? No, I watched this straight through. All right, it, so you were sitting at your long. desk. That's something positive. But you were sitting we at your say. desk. Yeah, you were I was. sitting yeah, Okay. Yeah. Watching it on your TV at your, your desk and streaming. But I was watching it on my couch, supine. <laughs> and uh, I was trying to figure out which movie I fell asleep faster in Child 44 or Beyond the Reach. Okay, another thing. He flashes back to when he's with his girlfriend and they're, they're in a pool inside of this cave. He finds that cave, but there's no water. And he has a crisis. Where's the water? Now, he'd just gone through 48 hours of, you know, sun blasted, you know, chased across the desert, whatever. He has no energy when he finally gets to this place. And he finds out that there's no water, but he finds a lot of energy to complain about being no water. And then... To night, practice shooting marbles. To, well, no, because then night falls. And then once there's no more light in the cave, mm-hmm. he's able to find the water. That makes no sense. I, it, I had to rewind it. Well, a, I had to wake up and then rewind it. <laughs> but then, I th- how he couldn't see the water that was right there when he first got there? It's like a reverse mirage. I, I don't know. I, I don't understand. There's this hobo prospector bum, yeah, who lives on this cliff. Right? No, he lived in the tunnel that's next to this cliff. Well, I think Mountain, those are whatever. Those are a couple of you know they're a good they're a good distance apart from each other. I mean, I know that there's some couches there. Are, are they really that far? I'm, I don't know. I kept it, falling asleep. I, I, I couldn't understand the geography. But anyway, <laughs> there's the know. one guy in the desert, Charlie. Charlie. He takes Michael Douglas to go hunting near where Charlie lives. You have hundreds of miles of desert, oh, right, right. and you take him to hunt where there's one person who lives. You could go anywhere else. And you have zero risk of running into someone. Well, don't they also have to go where the ram is? They have to go There's to where the ram one is. There's only one ram? I don't know. There were two because they were hitting the... You never did see the animal, though. You never uh, saw the animal. But I, that, that I didn't get. <laughs> no, I mean... Because they tried to show it as, oh, this is some random guy. Oh, this is bad luck. And then our then you guy knows out. where this guy's hidden cave is that's actually loaded up pretty nicely. Yeah, that was the only thing that was semi-sort of interesting, where he's counting off the, all right, you have to set it up so that this guy can escape, or else he's just running around in the desert with no clothes on. Why leave him with his skivvies on? Well, what's the point of that? Except not to have the R rating, or maybe it makes it easier. He makes him take off everything else, but he lets him leave his undies on? I don't know. know. It's an advertisement for Fruit of Loo. I don't know. But anyway, so he he goes along the, uh, I guess he's the there's markers on each of the uh, power lines, and he's able to he keeps thinking seventy seven seventy seven. He keeps running this in his mind, which is pretty good in terms of like okay, what does that mean? And then they they stretch that out for a while, and then you find out that it has some meaning later. I I kind of like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was interesting for a little bit. I I just I don't know. Oh, it was bad. Bad stuff. It, it tried. It's uh, Jean Bastille Linetti's first English film. Okay. It's his first uh, full-length film as yeah, well. I think he did some short French I probably films. didn't understand him. I, I don't know. He was directing in French. 
I mean, but this is the second attempt at this story. I'm sure there'll be a third and maybe third time's the charm. No, they just drop off. You never know. All right, so then that ends our spoiler edition of uh, Beyond the Reach. Don't waste your time. So you watched those two films. That was Friday night, and then you had Saturday night. What'd you do Sunday? Well, my parents took me out for my birthday. Oh. (laughs) They were going to take me to dinner, and I said, uh, well, let's go to a movie instead. And they were like, well, actually, I called up my parents, and they both answered at the same time. They're on their separate phones. They're in separate areas. I said, uh, well, let's go to, you guys want to go see a movie? And uh, my mom was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Dad's like, what's the movie? (laughs) I said, well, I kind of want to see Danny Collins. And then he starts going, is that the one where the guy is an old guy and he's trying to, my mom goes, yes, we'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's it's the L train's birthday, man. I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the L-Tray wants the L-Tray's birthday. That's the way that we roll. <laughs> anyway. So we went and saw the movie. Um, Danny Collins. Starring Al Pacino. Directed by Dan Fogelman. And it's about... Well, see, this is the thing. I've heard this movie reviewed on a couple or three different podcasts. Uh-huh. And... They always give the conceit of the film early. They give the sort of the framing device. It's not necessarily a spoiler. And I'm probably going to have to tell it to you guys in order to sort of set it up. But I, I think that it's a more interesting question at this point in the show for me to find out from Mr. Two Frames whether or not he ever considers how the choices that you make at one stage of your life have an impact for the rest of your life and and then how much different your life would have changed if you had done this just one different thing when you were younger or taken a turn in the road metaphorically that you hadn't expected to take. Like, yeah. do you ever consider make considerations? Or yeah, think I, about I, that? I tell my students a, a, a story, uh, the down and dirty version is my senior year I wanted to skip history class because my buddy was going to skip history class and we didn't like our teacher or whatever and so we ended up going to the CNU presentation for you know uh, seniors to decide what college they wanted to go to and I'd already put in all my applications I had never heard of CNU I had no desire to go there uh, I just wanted to get a history class and I ended up going to CNU I met my wife there huh? I uh Worked with you as a result of all that, yeah. Ah, and then this so, podcast would not have existed. Everything happened because I was lazy and tried to get out of history class. One what day. were the other? Uh, what were the other colleges you applied to? Uh, tech. And you uh, probably wouldn't have got in there anyway. I got in. All right, let's keep uh, going. James Madison. And you probably wouldn't have got in there anyway. I got in there. What else? <laughs> ODU. Yeah, you probably would have got in there. I got in there. <laughs> What else? I think it was like University of Pittsburgh offered me f- like a free application. They waived a free the application, application fee. So <laughs> that's as far as your scholarship. There, yeah, something like yeah, I think East free Carolina, East Coast Carolina, or Ooh, something. East Coast Carolina. I got in there too. Yeah. Wow, man, you put in a lot of applications. I put in three or four, and then seeing you, I just like I said, it was random. So yeah, sometimes things work out very randomly. I applied to VCU. I got in there. 
And uh, sure you did. The Alaska Bible College, because <laughs> you had to have two. The Alaska Bible College was yep. that the first one in the book? Yep. College ABC. <laughs> they had. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how I decided on that one, but I know that my guidance counselor was requiring that we had a two. In order to graduate, you had to have two applications in. And I had already been accepted to VCU, so they weren't going to let me graduate unless I applied to another college. So it was either the first one on the list or it was the first one that didn't have an application fee. <laughs> they wanted I, to make sure you had options, even though you're like, no, I, I know where I'm going. Right. Wow. I got in. <laughs> yeah, I already knew I was going to VCU. I went to VCU two years. I hated it. Hated it. Wound up going to tech. Hmm? I got in there, too. So there you go. Um, so I kind of like thinking sometimes I, I don't, I, I really don't live my life with regrets. I don't, I don't think I have very many regrets at all because I, I try to make smart decisions, but I do, I do consider what will happen as a result of these decisions that I'm making now and where they where they're headed. So I kind of take my advice from Epictetus, consider everything that, precedes and follows and then act accordingly. Um, but, I mean, I might not have played football if we hadn't moved here. Sometimes things happen beyond, you know, things like that are beyond my control. Like yeah. if we hadn't moved to Virginia and stayed in North Carolina, the school I would have gone to didn't have a football team. So I wouldn't have coached football. I mean, I wouldn't have played football. I probably wouldn't have coached football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then from there and there and there and there. So it's like this butterfly effect of determinism and uh, I don't know it's just something interesting to consider at times Danny Collins involves a man an older man played by Al Pacino who's sort of like a pop uh, music singer sort of in the vein of um, oh like a Neil Diamond Mm -hmm. and he has a a crisis of conscience as he gets near whatever Al Pacino's age is now. <laughs> I guess he's playing a contemporary version of himself. <clears throat> Based on a letter that his manager found f- from uh, that was written to him from uh, Yoko, or no, John Lennon. <laughs> You're going to say Yoko Ono's <laughs> Yeah, I was going to put Yoko husband. Ono first. <laughs> Yoko Ono's husband, John Lennon. <laughs> Apparently John Lennon in the movie because this is based on a semi-true story. I can tell you this true story in a minute, I guess. But uh, in the movie, this Danny Collins character is uh, an aging, sort of very popular Neil Diamond-like guy. He gets this letter from his manager that was never given to him. Uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono had heard or read an interview in some magazine that he was in when he was 20. And it was basically about following your dreams of being a songwriter and not being scared of being a songwriter and just, you know, do those things. And, hey, why don't you come out and visit me and we can have a conversation about this. So the guy didn't get the letter until 40 years later. And then he begins to examine his life. And he goes back and he tries to take steps to eradicate some of the poor decisions that he'd made along the way. Um, this is a who's who of... Uh, movie actors. It's got uh, Jennifer Garner's in it. I like her. She's pretty good in it. Um, Christopher Plummer plays his uh, 
manager, and he's really good. He only has a few lines in it. He's really good. He's funny. Frank Grubman, he plays. Annette Benning is uh, sort of the love interest. She was my dad's favorite part of the movie. Really? Yeah. He really liked her. And he really liked the movie. He, when he left, he was like, that was great. I really liked the movie. My mom says, mm, I've seen better on Hallmark Channel. <laughs> I'm sort of somewhere in between. It's really, it, it's really hard to move my mom's needle. <laughs> my dad, he gets excited about stuff. So he really liked it. I mean, um, this is directed to an older audience, right? I don't know. I mean, would you consider me an older audience? There's, there's, well, Bobby Cannavale, who I mentioned in the We Laugh edition, mm -hmm. is hmm, 38. And Jennifer Garner plays his wife. And, um, I mean, they do some interesting things in the movie, too. So, I don't know. I mean, the, the comedy is based on the situation, but the writing is still effective. It's still a good present, you know, it's a good sort of drama. Mm-hmm. I think it's at 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. But I guess uh, Pacino hasn't done a whole lot. I mean, what's the tar tar target audience here? Is this like um, the best Marigold Hotel, which is clearly going for the over 50 crowd? Is it one of no, those type of films? No, I think it's more just like a, a, a drama, comedy, a light drama that sort of, I don't know, maybe it got bumped around in production and they they made the decision to release it now instead of uh you know in later on in the uh in the season when it would get more awards buzz but any one of these actors Christopher Plummer could get a, a best supporting actor nomination cuz he's he's the you know, for me he's sort of the highlight of the movie I don't know if Pacino could get another nomination, but he's been in a lot of crappy movies lately that haven't even made it to the big screen. So yeah, it's I, hard to decide or determine how this movie makes it to the big screen when others don't. Well, I think some of it has to do with the director, uh, Dan Fogelman. What did he do? He hasn't done anything. He well, wasn't. He did. He's written a lot of stuff. He wrote a bunch of Pixar movies. Co-writer on Cars. Yeah. 13 other Cars co-writers. Cars 2, uh, Tangled, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, Bolt. But lately, what he's been kind of carving out a niche as going after the older actor-actress crowd. He wrote The Guilt Trip with you Barbara like Streisand because it's my mother. Did you see it and, with your mother? Yeah. My, my wife and I, we Did both saw like the it? trailer and we're like, we gotta go take Mama Bull. Well, hey. She kind of liked it. But, I mean, it worked. Uh, he also... It would have been funny if she was nagging you on the way to the to the movie. No, no like she's good. Because was wasn't the movie, that movie about nagging... It's just uh, the, the Jewish mother. But your mother's not Jewish. She doesn't know that. <laughs> but, I mean, she, hey, uh, by Mrs. definition, Bull? she's a Jewish mother. Mrs. Bull, you're not Jewish. <laughs> uh, he, he also wrote Last Vegas with Michael okay. Douglas. Again, another movie. Morgan Freeman. Really, Okay, but I mean it's one of those that appeals to an older generation. Right. You're going to have uh, movie stars who are probably past their prime, but that people still like and go, "Yeah, I haven't watched one of his movies in a long time." Well, this is the first movie he's directed, I think. Dan Fogelman. Um, he's produced. Uh, I think he has production credit for Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which is one of my movies I'm looking forward to seeing this summer. 
uh, coming out, or maybe in winter. I don't know. It was big on the on the uh, festival circuit. Mm-hmm. That me and Earl thing. So uh, Danny Collins, man, this is probably the best movie I saw this weekend. What would you give it? Say ten <clears throat> out of ten. Well, right now I'm ranking it uh, at a seven. I think the solid movie. Solid movie for me. So it's um, one of those if you can't find it in theaters because it's not out in super wide release. Uh, probably worth a rental here in a couple months. Yeah, maybe it may have even come out on streaming or uh, like um, video on demand. It might be out on video on demand. Right? I didn't look into that. I like okay. seeing those movies on the big screen though. And I think <clears throat> if I just seen Beyond the Reach on the big screen, it might have been better for me. <laughs> Fair <laughs> I don't enough. Know, better movie for me. Hmm. So um, that was. Danny Collins, I think uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing, you should go see it. I could talk a lot more about the story, but eh, I want to ruin it. There's a lot of neat stuff that goes on. Some good uh, writing. Not great, not perfect, but pretty good. Fair enough. So a little bit of a slow (laughs) week, but uh, there's a lot of other stuff coming out here. Right. We're we're hoping next week to do Ex Machina. Ex Machina, uh, we got Avengers 2 the week after that to cover. Ooh, Age of Ultron. Yeah. So I got a uh, game that we might play that you probably will refuse to put on the show. <laughs> I got a Turing test for you. Okay. Yeah, got a little Turing test. We'll like see how that works out when we do the Ex Machina review. I'm excited. There are lots and lots of robots to cover. I'm really looking forward to that. Ex Machina review. Ooh, we might have also a group review. We might be able to bring some of the old crowd back in pretty soon here for that Age of Ultron thing, right? Yeah, hopefully. Isn't that the same weekend as the uh, as the game weekend? Yeah, we've got that also. Ooh. I think we're going to try and cover uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because coming out around here in uh, one of the local community theaters, they're going to do the play version of that. So we thought it'd be interesting to go back and watch the movie. Because I haven't seen the movie since I was a teenager. Oh, yeah. I had a yeah. girlfriend who loved that film. Oh, yeah. I saw. I actually remember where I saw that movie. I'm drawing on your superpowers. Uh, it was in. It was at Virginia Tech. I saw it in the uh, whatever theater was at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, downtown. Huh. Very All nice. Right. Good stuff, man. Um I know what our listeners are interested in, though. They want to know, how did Mr. L Train do this week on the box office challenge? The box office challenge? Yeah. Uh, You're not losing. How? How is that possible? Because this is coming out after Paul Blart came out. Right. Didn't you have Paul Blart? I did. So I am losing. Yeah, you're losing. How are you doing? You're losing. Oh, I thought you just said I'm not losing. You're not winning. <laughs> you're not making any sense. <laughs> I'm tempted now to not make any sense. No, uh, Paul Blart made roughly $24 million, so I'm up about $11 million on you right now. All right, and I had the longest uh, ride. Yeah. You guys didn't do Which a good job. Which was that. pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> didn't last real. It was the shortest ride at the top of the box office challenge for for yeah, the L train. But but we still have a lot of your heavy hitters yet to come. All right. So what's the next movie on the docket? Uh, I think the next one is I get to storm out ahead with Mad Max, which comes out in the middle of uh, May. And then I have Pitch Perfect too. Yeah, you got yeah, it's same weekend. Do you think you can counter programming? 
You think that's even going to be close? I don't know, man. Child 44 may have doomed the time of Tom. May have, may have put a damper on the, yeah. On the, and and then are they going to, isn't, isn't, uh, is a 24 release is no, no. After Mad Matt's the following week, I've got Tomorrowland. Okay. So I've got to really like, yeah, but I've got to be pretty far ahead after that. Cause you still have Jurassic world and San Andreas. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So So, sitting uh, on those. Hopefully I start to do something here. So, um, are they going to be able to look on our website and see our picks? Yep. It'll all be up on the website so you can follow along at the laughpodcast.com. You can also, uh, listen to our show there if you want to. You can blog us. We haven't had many comments from on the laughpodcast.com, but we have gotten some stuff from a friend of the show, Tony and Kathy, Kathy B. <laughs> She's out there. So uh, they've asked some questions. We need to do the romance show for uh, Kathy B. We still do. And so um, what was it that, uh, oh, yeah, we need to get some names because I'm feeling pretty confident about the box office challenge. So get your names and and simple math, (laughs) simple math equations together. (laughs) Send them in. How would you send them in if you were going to? Well, you can email us at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at thelaughpodcast, or you can just send us a message directly um, at Facebook. Uh, we're available at facebook.com slash thelaughpodcast. All right, so in the immortal words of Tony D'Amato on any given Sunday, you're going to win or you're going to lose. The point is, can you win or lose like a man? <laughs> it's more like a question than a point. Anyway, so that's the uh, live podcast for this week. For Mr. Two Frames over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm the L-Train. Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons. What was the confusing look for? Sometimes you make fun of my ability to do the sign in or the sign out. Yeah. You seem to be searching for something there. The quote was good. And it's like, oh. Oh, there was a letdown? Yeah. And then toward, eh, eh, eh. it's harder than it looked.